It's so good to see you today. Isn't it a beautiful day outside? I am so looking forward to our concert tonight, choir, orchestra. I just got to hear a little bit. I'm so pumped for tonight. And uh, the picnic's going to be a fantastic time for fellowship and uh, just being together, being community. And so I hope you'll come out and uh, just be a part of that wonderful experience and worship and celebration tonight. Um, I would invite you to take your Bibles and to turn to John chapter 13, and we're going to be in 13 and 14 this morning, as we continue to look through the Jesus Confessions. I'll never forget the night or the experience. It was probably around midnight, 11 to midnight. Um, as a journeyman in Panama, I was able to work out at the, the Christian camp. The Baptist camp was about an hour and a half outside of Panama City, and so Every once in a while, I would get to be able to go in and spend a weekend in town with the missionaries and to help build and renew some relationships that I was developing with the college students, the Panamanian college students, as they would come out to our camps during the years. And so on one weekend, I was able to go through, go, go into town, and I had transportation. I had to go in. It was a big Dodge cargo van with seats in it. That's the best way to describe it. It wasn't the most comfortable thing, but... Uh, it was my set of wheels when I went into town. Well, what that meant when I came into town and we tried to get everyone together is that no one had to ride the public buses because I was in town. And so on this particular night, we had finished our, our worship and our just our being together, and I was taking everyone home. And so we had tried to figure out how can I get everyone home in a way that is the most efficient, and I wasn't going back and forth all over Panama City at, at early in the morning or late at night. And uh, so it was the last stop, and I think there were two girls, two neighbors, and we kind of wound our way back into this neighborhood, turned around, and it's a pretty, fairly wide street, and I made a big U-turn and dropped them off their house, and the brother came out, and he knew me, and, and he kind of looked at me a little startled, and he said, what are you doing here? Well, I knew that he knew that I was bringing his sister and friend home. So the question caught me as kind of like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> And he said, you don't need to be here at this time of the day by yourself. And he said to me, you go down this way and you take a right and you take a left. And when you get to that main street, you go right and you don't stop for anyone or anything. You don't need to be here. My confidence had shrunk quite a bit at that time. And I said, okay, I go here, here and here and, and there. And he said, that is right and don't get lost. You see, the way that he was telling me to go home was very important at that time. Do you know the way? Do you know the way home? Do you know the way of life? What way are you traveling today? Yesterday, we, Gay and I got up early for us on a Saturday morning and drove to Waco to pick up Morgan. She had just finished her week of orientation at Baylor. She's got her Baylor student ID, so all hopes of OU IDs are gone for now anyway. But uh, so she's got her Baylor ID. And so we were sitting there, and, and I knew she was tired. It had been a long week. And I said, Morgan, do you know the way home? Well, yeah, Dad, it's on I-35. <laughs> okay? But do you know the way home? So I said, you're going to drive us through Fort Worth to Denton. Because even though you stay on I-35 all the way, and if you make that trip, you know that when you get to Hillsboro, you can stay on I-35 and end up in Dallas or Fort Worth. 
And I wanted to make sure she went through Fort Worth. And when you get to Fort Worth, you can end up in Abilene or Shreveport before you end up in Oklahoma City. And you've got traffic merging in all different ways and, and lanes exiting off on both sides. And I said, Morgan, it's important for you to know the way home. And so you're going to drive this way. I'm so tired, Dad. You're going to drive because you need to know the way home. Do you know the way? Do you know the way home? Do you know the way of life that God has called you to? It's fascinating that in, in the upper room story of John chapter 13, what takes place in those, chap, in those verses. And then in our, our English mind, in the way we segregate and separate chapter and verse, it, it's like we draw a line between the end of chapter 13 and the end of chapter 14. But they're still there in the upper room. What, what takes place in John chapter 13? Remember the disciples have gathered They've gathered in this upper room that's been secured to celebrate the Passover together. They've journeyed into Jerusalem. The disciples are certainly aware of the tensions that exist between Jesus and the, the religious leaders. But there they are in Jerusalem. And as they're sitting around waiting for that, to experience that Passover together, something of great shock takes place as before they know it, Jesus has taken off his outer garments, has girded himself with a towel, and is at their feet with basin and towel washing their feet. And he goes on as we, we look through chapter 13 with this beautiful story of, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, of Peter saying, oh, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, but if I don't wash you, Peter, you are unclean. And then he goes on and he says, guys, do you know what I have done for you? I've given you an example that you would go and you would serve and wash the feet of others. And he begins to talk about one who's going to betray him. In verse 21, the Scripture says that Jesus became troubled in spirit. As he said, one of you are going to betray me. And he goes on to talk about what's going to take place. He dips the morsel. Judas leaves. And the rest of the disciples still don't understand what's going on. And Well, where would Judas go? Oh, they hit the money box or something. They're clueless. And Jesus is brokenhearted even in these moments. And look in verse 31. He begins to talk about being glorified. And, and they, they don't know what he's talking about. And he says here in verse 33... I'm with you just a little while longer. Where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus, I think he still is, is distressed. He's troubled. Hard. He's troubled. Judas has left. He anticipates what's going to take place in the next hours. Guys, where I'm going, you cannot come with me. But guys, here's, here's a new commandment I want to give you. Here, when all this begins to take place, remember this last commandment. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other in a way that everyone will know that you're my followers. You're my disciples. Love each other. And, and Peter still can't get over this that Jesus is going somewhere. Peter says in verse 36, Well, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, Peter, you can't go with me. 
You can't follow me. And I'm sure Peter's thinking, well, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We don't have anywhere to go. We've been following you for three years now, and now you tell me that we can't follow you any longer? Where are you going? We're going with you. Peter, you you can't go with me. In fact, Peter, and the other Gospels tell us as well, it's not just Peter. In fact, guys, before morning comes, each one of you are going to betray me. Each one of you are going to abandon me. You're not ready to come after me yet. You're not ready to follow me where I'm going yet. You're all going to deny me. And in that context, in that mood, in that setting, now listen to chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. How many of us today would say, oh, wait, my heart, my spirit is so troubled. I just don't know what to do. I'm just broken. I grieve. And Jesus says to His disciples as they're trying to figure out what's going on, as as they're told this news, He says, guys, do not be troubled. Whatever is about to to take place, believe in God. Believe in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you to Myself, that where I am, you will also be. Guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going somewhere right now, and He hasn't mentioned the cross, but but I'm going somewhere right now that, that you can't go. But know this, that where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And guys, I will be back. But Thomas, in verse 5, still doesn't get it. He's confused. And and I think he's probably speaking representatively here of of all the disciples. Maybe he's the only one that has the courage to to speak up. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And that's where Jesus, I believe, looks at his disciples and he says these words. These words of revelation. Revelation. These words of confession of who He is. He says, I am the way, Thomas. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. I'm going to the cross and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm coming back. And if you want to go back with me. If you want to go on to be with the Father, if you want to go to this place that's being prepared for you, then here's what you need to know. I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. Three simple yet complex and profound thoughts and ideas. Whatever happens over these next hours and these next days, guys, Do not forget that I am the way. And the way goes through the cross. Guys, I am the truth. I am Lord. I am Christ. And when they start saying He's King of the Jews and they mean that He's a 
an insurrectionist, a revolutionary against Rome, when they say this and that about me, don't believe those lies. Remember the truth. I am the truth. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. That, that the kingdom of God is coming through me. Remember this truth. Jesus says, I am the life. Remember, when you see me there on that cross, remember when you put me in that tomb, that I am not death, that I am resurrection, that I am life. No matter what your eyes tell you in these next hours and these next days, do not forget that I am life. Even though in these next moments I go to the cross. Jesus summarizes, He prepares, He gives these last words to give strength and courage to His disciples in these last moments when He says, guys, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Let's spend just a few moments and look at each one of these in a, in a specific way. First of all, I am the, I am the way. Again, voiced by Thomas when he says, Jesus, Lord, how do we know the way? Again, this is one of those significant, life-critical questions that we all ask. Now, we may ask it in some different ways. Some of us may say it this way. Um, what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to live this life that I have? What's God's will for me? Where am I going with my life? What, what am I going to do with my life? Jesus, show me the way. We all ask this question in a specific and unique and certain way, but I believe we all ask the question. The Old Testament reminds us of this. In the Proverbs, Proverbs 14.12 says this, There is a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. We are all pursuing and choosing and making choices about the way that we will go. And certainly one of the ways that we can choose and pick is a way that will end in death. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 86, verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Interesting there that the way, that the path, and truth are connected together. That we walk the path of truth, which is the path of life. Jesus says in Matthew 7, He says there is a wide path. There's a wide path, and many are going to go down that wide path, but be warned that the wide path is often the way of destruction. But, He says, I've come to show you the narrow path, the narrow way. It's the narrow way that leads to life. And this is the way, this is the path that you must go. And Jesus says, I am that way. I am that path. Will you come and follow me? Isn't it interesting as we read through the gospel, I'm sorry, the book of Acts, as the early church is born, it's not till later on in Antioch where the church is called Christians, where the term Christians is coined. But early on in that book, it's the followers of Jesus are simply called the followers of the way. Because to follow Christ meant a way of life. It meant a new way, a new direction of life. 
You see, Jesus is the way. And if we are His followers, then we must learn to walk in His way. The way of Jesus is that narrow path. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Jesus went to the cross. Listen to what He says in Luke 9.23. He says, Take up your cross and follow Me daily. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You see, the way of Jesus not only takes Him to the cross, but it takes each one of us to the cross as well. Now, that's not good news. Nobody wants to go to the cross. But we need to hear that that's the way. That's the way of life. That's the way of eternity. That is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is being last. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The way of Jesus is learning to be last. Not because being last is fun, not because not being first is not good and not the best, but because the way of Christ is to be last. Because humility is that key characteristic of those who take the way of the cross. The way of Jesus is the way of serving others. The way of Jesus is the way of giving yourself away. It is the way of obedience. It is the way of submitting. It is the way of repenting and forgiving. The way of Jesus is the way of peacemaking. Of loving your enemy. Of returning hatred with kindness. Now these do not sound like the way of life and of salvation in the world. Yet these are the way of salvation through Christ. This is His way. They are the way to the Father's house. They are the way to life. They are the way through Jesus. But Jesus also says, I am the truth. Truth is one of John's greatest concerns. It's one of the great concerns of the Hellenistic or Greek culture and audience that he's writing to. The quest or the despair of truth in that culture, I believe, is symbolized by Pilate. Just a few chapters later, as we continue on in the crucifixion story, Jesus and Pilate are having their conversation one-on-one. Pilate with the power and the authority to to spare Jesus' life. And it's interesting, it's fascinating. It's Again, I think it's representative that Pilate simply says to Jesus, Jesus, what is truth? Where is truth, Jesus? Truth is the great question that we continue to search for, especially in our postmodern culture, especially in a community with, with such close ties to the University of Oklahoma, an institution of higher learning. The search for truth is critical. And it seems like we have three options. And Stay with me through this, okay? It seems like we have three options when it comes to truth. First of all, we can simply say, I own the truth. When we have an individual, a person, or a group of people that say, we own the truth or I own the truth, the result of that leads to what I call exclusivism. It's characterized by pride. It's characterized by a prideful way of understanding that so-called truth, interpreting and applying that truth. We are the guardians of that. 
And we're the only ones that know the truth, and therefore, we're the only ones that really know how to apply and interpret the truth. And so truth becomes a a tool, a hammer, towards exclusivism. But there's another option for truth. The postmodern culture has basically said, you know, there's so many claims to truth, how can anyone know the truth? And that results in one of two things. It results in despair. Wow, we can never, I just can't know the truth. We can never know the truth. And you just go deeper and deeper into a downward cycle of despair. Or relativism. It says, oh, everyone has their own truth. And, and, you know, there really is no real truth. Everyone is responsible for their own truth. And so you have your truth and I have my truth. And let's just all get along. We hear that a lot in our culture today. And then there's the third option. The third option that says, well, who cares if there's any truth at all? What difference does it make? And I would say this is, people who have this perspective are indifferent. They could care less. Truth doesn't matter to them. They're just going to eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, if there's truth out there, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't impact me. I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. But listen to what Scripture says. John 1 says, And the Word became flesh, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus. In that first chapter of John, isn't it fascinating? In a culture where he's, he's trying to make an imprint here in the culture, right off, right off the bat in chapter 1, where, Jesus, where, where John links together grace and truth. Grace and truth go together. Jesus embodies grace and truth at the same time. Those that want to pick this exclusivistic experience do so pridefully without grace. But listen to Jesus as He continues in John. John 8, 31-32 If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I am the truth. And when you come and you experience the truth of who I am, there is great freedom that results from that. Truth is the avenue, is the means through which we can begin to experience God's grace and His freedom, His righteousness and cleansing. In John 14, He says this, later on in the same chapter, John 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus talking about truth, He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper. Again, Jesus says, I'm going where you can't go. I'm going to my Father. But He says, I'm going to ask the Father to bring you another Helper, that He would be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive this Spirit of truth because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you. And He will be in you. John 16, 13. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. So here's where I want us to understand about this statement when Jesus says, I am truth. Is that truth is not a doctrine. Truth is a person. Truth is not simply taught by Jesus. Jesus is truth. And when Jesus says that He is truth, He's not inviting us to mentally assenting to a set of theological, moral, and philosophical statements. Rather, Jesus is inviting us to know Him, and to realize and live out truth 
as the presence and the outworking of the Spirit of God comes from within us. Jesus is truth. And He desires His Spirit to abide in us so that His truth would flow from us. Jesus finally says, I am the life. John 1.4, John says, in Him was life. Interesting, in John 5, just kind of what we've talked about, John reminds us, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Even at that time, Jesus was fighting the religious leaders of the day who said, oh, there's, the, the Scriptures are life. But Jesus goes on and He says, it is these that testify about Me, and you are unwilling to come to Me so that you would have life. You see, the Scripture points us to Jesus. The Scripture is the written Word. Jesus is the living Word that comes to abide and to live within us. He is life. Finally, in John 10.10, He contrasts His way of life by saying there's a thief that comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But He says, I am life. In John 17.2, He says, This is eternal life that they may know you. Truth and life are found in relationship in the knowledge of God through Jesus the Son. It is interesting that Jesus, in the moments, the hours before He dies and is put in the tomb, in these moments He says, I am the life. Now think about that. Jesus is about to go to the cross to die. And his, some of His last words to His disciples is, I am life. How can Jesus make this proclamation? How can Jesus come to us when we sit on the bedside of loved ones who are dying of cancer and of diseases who are being robbed of life and say, oh, by the way, I am life. How can Jesus come to us and proclaim that He is life as all around us we see violence and murder? How can Jesus come to us and say, I am life when we look around us and children and infants and youth are dying from crazy things? How can Jesus proclaim, I am life in the midst of this? How can He proclaim, I am life when He's going to the cross? Jesus can proclaim that He is life. Because He is announcing eternal life. He is announcing that even though the cross seems imminent, even though there's death, physical death before us, that we can be confident that there is something greater than that. In fact, there's something so much greater that He declares, I am life. And even though it looks like I'm in the tomb, and even though it looks like on the cross there is death and death wins, I am life as we sit next to those loved ones as they are dying, Jesus comes and says, I am life, reminding us that life is not all that is contained in these earthen vessels, but that through Him there is something greater and something more. The cross is not the end of life, Jesus was saying. Rather, the cross is the beginning of life. Because of the cross, I can sit here and tell you that I am life. And that by believing in me, you will have life as well.
In the imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis puts it this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou shouldst pursue. I am the truth which thou shouldst believe. I am the life which thou shouldst hope for. If you embraced this way, this truth, and this life, have you come to that place where you know that no one comes to the Father except through Him? Do you know that no one comes to the Father except by the way of Christ? Do you know that no one comes to the Father except through the truth of Christ? Do you know that no one comes to the Father except through His life and death? And victory on the tomb. So how do we walk in this way? How do we know the truth? How do we live this life? Oh, Jesus says he's these things, but how do, I, how do I experience them? How do I begin to walk with Jesus and know Him and live with Him? John 14, 17, I think, gives us the answer. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive abides with you and will be with you. We walk, we know, we live as we abide in Him. To abide means that we participate in and we relate to the Spirit of God in obedience to His truth and His teaching. We cooperate with Him. We are like-minded with the Spirit and the mind of Christ. In this abiding relationship, as we abide with God, as we abide in His Spirit, we discover the freedom that He says He has come to bring to us. So are you abiding with Jesus today? Are you abiding in His way, in His truth, and in His life? Some of you will remember the old Burt Bacharach song. Do you know the way to San Jose? He asked. I've been away so long. I may go wrong and lose my way. I'm going back to find some peace of mind. This morning our question is, do you know the way to the Father's house? Are you going the wrong way? Maybe some of you would say, you know, I've lost my way. Today is your opportunity to get back on the track, on the path, to find the way to discover His peace and His love and His life. Because Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And He's the life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for the beautiful music and worship that we've experienced. Thank You for Your Word which uncovers the truth of who You are. Which reveals to us who You are. And we're so grateful and thankful that you invite us not to a, a list of propositions that we have to believe. But you invite us to follow you as the way. You invite us to know you and to experience you as the truth. You invite us to allow your spirit to abide in us that we might know and live out that truth. And through those experiences to know you as life. And to experience life abundant here 
and as we prepare for eternity. In these moments as we sing, we would invite you to search your own heart, to ask the question, do you know the way to the Father's house? Are you headed that way? If not today, would you receive Christ? Would you come back and repent and get back on that pathway that leads to Him? Use these moments to renew, to refocus, to commit your life to Him. I'll be here at the front to receive you, to pray with you as God would call. Let's stand and sing.